Okay, if we could be turning our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 22. Thank you so much, <clears throat> uh, worship leaders and singers and Jake and uh, uh, everyone for leading us to worship God, to um, usher us really into God's presence, though we can always be in God's presence, but in a special way together. We come together to come into the presence of God and to lift up the name of God, amen? amen? To jointly, collectively tell God that we love you. And we're so excited to uh, be Christians, to, to come to you and to experience you. Um, thank you for, to Grayson for leading us to Jesus, to bring our minds away from all the distractions and worries and onto, onto Christ. Boy, what a, what a powerful message if we can receive that worldview of suffering. How to not treat it as a stranger, how to not treat it as something weird is happening to us, but that actually it is a part of life and actually serves an incredible purpose to draw us near to God and transform us into the image of Christ. Thank you so much to Grayson. And I just want to say something. This hit me as I was listening to Grayson. Uh, I'm so thankful for our young people. Can I get an amen from the congregation? It is so encouraging to be in a congregation where not everyone is bald and graying. Are you with me there? Many congregations, they call it the blue hair group. And you just kind of look over and it's just kind of a shade of blue. And, uh, uh, but we, it's, we're not that way. We have all kinds of ages amongst us. And I'm so proud and excited to have millennials here represented in force. Amen? And now, actually, we've got a new generation that are younger than the millennials. Can you believe that? Um, I think some of you guys, right, you're not even millennials anymore. Uh, you guys are like millennials, and you guys are Zs, something like that. Um, so I'm just, it's just so exciting to have a congregation to have young and old, amen, amongst us. We can worship God together in multiple generations, amen? Um, Awesome. So anyways, thank you, Grayson, for that communion message. We are talking, continuing to talk about transformation. Um, so last week, we're, we're walking through the book of Acts, and we are into Acts 22, where Paul recounts his transformation experience uh, as he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And the context is he is uh, giving a defense to the accusations that are coming against him from the Jews. And as part of his defense, he just wants to share his experience in meeting Jesus. Amen? And that's something that we all should be doing a lot. We should be sharing, uh, man, let me just tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how he changed my life. Um, and Paul does this in, a, in, an, in an amazing way. And we see the picture, we, we introduced uh, Mr. Caterpillar, uh, transforming. The, the word transform doesn't mean just kind of do a little better. It means complete metamorph, complete change of form. And not just on the outward. Religion is good at that. Let's just change the outward for kind of a Sunday morning time and look all, put your son, your Sunday best and look good. That's not what happened to that Caterpillar. Right? He didn't get brighter yellow and black there. Okay? He went into a cocoon and he came out trans 
transformed into this amazing butterfly. Is that not an am amazing right there? And that is what Saul went from uh, murdering uh, beast-like, raging bull was his nickname, murdering Christians, to not just saying, okay, now I'm going to murder non-Christians, right? <laughs> That's not, that would be a slight change to promoting the gospel, advancing Jesus. He went from a skeptic to an evangelist. How did Paul experience transformation? That's what we're taking last week, this week, and next week. Such an important topic, we're not going to rush through this. How did Paul experience transformation? Because we want to experience and need to experience transformation ourselves. And by the way, this isn't just for uh, those non-believers amongst us. If you're a disciple today, you, the Spirit is working to transform you. And that process will never end until Jesus returns. Amen? So we all need this. Uh, so last week we talked about the before Christ experience that, that Saul had. And then he had, he had a humbling experience. And it's really important for all of us to allow the humbling experiences in our lives actually humble us. Are you with me? Because we can get a lot of humbling experience, but we don't get humble. And so that's kind of important, or else it gets worse for you. That's what Jesus says, right? Stop being prideful, or something worse is going to happen to you. And if you don't think that I'm talking to you, then I am talking to you. Okay, who's he looking at? You, okay, me. If we don't humble ourselves, it's going to get worse. So let's just do it quick, like, amen? I don't know. I don't, that was, uh, uh, what was that progressive commercial? I don't believe it. You know, they're trying to sing this song. Stop, I don't believe it. Let's humble ourselves or something worse going to happen to us. Amen? amen? Well, I don't know. We'll get there, I guess. <laughs> Okay, let's go. Today we're talking about the Jesus experience that Paul had and the wrestling experience. If we're going to transform, we got to know, we got to meet Jesus. We got to experience Jesus as not an idea, but as a risen from the dead Savior, King of Kings. And then we have to wrestle with this Jesus. Because if we don't wrestle, we're not going to have our own convictions. And that's where transformation comes from. So let's read here in Acts chapter 22. We'll read, read what we read last week, this whole experience. But it happened, verse 6, that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who is speaking to me. You know, I hope you hear the voice of God today speaking to your soul. Amen? Through the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. Let's perk our ears up and really listen to, for God's voice. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up. And go into Damascus, and there you'll be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me 
and came into Damascus. A certain, Anani a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and stand, standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Oh, so good. What an experience. So let's get into Paul's Jesus experience. He says, so he gets blinded, humbled, right? Falls flat on his face. Stopped in his tracks, knocked off his high horse, okay? Just like all of us need to be. And he says, Lord. Now, this Lord, he doesn't know, this Lord doesn't mean Jesus being God yet. This is just a term for master. He just knows that something bigger than himself here is happening, okay? Who are you? I am Jesus of Nazareth. In case, you didn't, in case there were a couple Jesuses around. The one from Nazareth. The one whom you are persecuting. Now, wait a second. Paul wasn't doing this personally to Jesus. Actually, he was because he was doing it to Jesus' church. And this is a side note, but how you treat the family of God is how you are treating God. Make no mistake about it. Oh, I like to just be godly, but I don't like organized religion. You want it to be disorganized? Now, I understand there's a lot of history with bad things going on in organized religion, so I understand that. But that is an overreaction that's unbiblical. We need to be an organized religion that humbles ourselves. <laughs> Amen? And listens to the voice of God. Let's not toss out the body for the sake of the struggles of the body. Let's be in the body and let it be transformed and glorified to the, to the honor of the king. Amen? Amen? But how you treat the church is how you're treating Jesus. So how we treat one another is super, super important. How we treat one another. Why? Because guess who lives in Craig? Jesus, the spirit. So I'm not really just treating Craig. I'm treating the son of God, a son of God. Did I say the? A. Okay. Amen? Okay. So it says Jesus, Jesus here appeared to him. Jesus appeared to Saul here in his glorified state. Um, that's very important. Very, very important theologically. Okay. Jesus rose from the dead. And not just in spirit ghost form. Physical. He ate food after the resurrection. And it didn't like... This, you know, went into his body, okay? Acts 9, 17, 22, 14, 26, 16, 1 Corinthians 9, 1, and 15, 8, 8, all refer to the fact that Jesus appeared to Paul in bodily glorified form. Glorified form. Saul went from not believing in Jesus to seeing Jesus and believing in Jesus and believe to the point of dying for that belief. 
Same with James, the brother of Jesus. James did not believe in Jesus when Jesus walked the earth before his resurrection. He didn't believe that Jesus said who he was. He thought he was crazy, okay? But once Jesus rose from the dead and James saw him, he went from being a skeptic to being not just a believer, but the leader of the Jerusalem church, which was probably the most persecuted church for a while there in the first century and died for his belief. The point that the, the reason this is important is because if you don't believe in Jesus, you have to deal with a truth in history that you probably haven't dealt with very much yet, the fact of the empty tomb. It is historical. It is, people have been trying, if, if you can put Jesus back in that tomb, then all of this is folly. All of it's folly. Okay? The Christian faith is the only faith that calls itself, calls itself on itself. It says, if the resurrection didn't happen, we're all wrong. And so for 2,000 years, let's just try to figure out how the resurrection didn't happen. There's a lot, there's part of me that would just be, that would make life a lot easier, because now I just eat, drink, and be merry. Just live for the pleasure, live for the day, right? I can do that. Um, problem. It did happen. And the explanation for it, as many people as tried, is that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? And so, amen, deal with that. You've got to deal with that, okay? Paul dealt with it by following Jesus to the death. James dealt with it by following Jesus to the death. The 11 apostles, Judas killed himself pre-resurrection. The 11 apostles uh, all followed Jesus to the death except John, who just died of old age because they needed some eldership around, okay? Um, all right, okay? Liars don't make good martyrs. Oh, let's just make this up to promote this Christianity because we'll get rich. Um, that's a lie. Liars don't make good martyrs. Joseph Smith and the Mormons, dude had 11 apostles around him, right? Guess how many of them left the Mormon church before the end of their life? Over half. Over half because they knew it was made up. They knew it was fabricated. Okay? These guys didn't, didn't give up. They didn't give up even to the death. Liars don't make good martyrs. Okay, um, if you're an agnostic or atheist this morning, come tell me your answer for the resurrection, and let's talk, okay? Um, how about for us? Jesus has to show himself to us. Well, if Jesus would just appear to me like he did to Saul, then I would believe too. I had someone tell me, he's like, well, if Jesus would appear to me, then I would believe. Oh. Acts chapter 19, okay? Acts chapter 19, I'm just going to read, I mean, I'm sorry, Psalm 19 teaches us, we're not going to read the whole thing, but Psalm 19, go study it on your own, it says two things. It says, God appears to us through two things. Who, who can help me out? Let's think. How does God appear to us? I heard it. Through creation, verses 1 through 6. All about creation starts with oh, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring. Maybe we'll read it. Declaring the work of His hands, day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, in other words, there's no verbal. Um, 
where, where am I? Uh, verse 3, nor are their words, their voice not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It joists the strong man to run his course. It, its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. What, is, what that's saying is that the creation doesn't have an audible voice, but it has a voice. Amen? You know, the other day, um, uh, we were up cutting down a tree that, was, that had died, this ash tree. I'm like, oh, it looks fine on the outside, right? And so we cut down this tree. You want to show it? So that was a pit. But when we cut it down and we chainsawed it up, uh, that was in the middle. What is that? that? It's probably, I don't know, is that ash borer disease? I don't know. No, it's not. Some, some kind of disease got in that tree and it ate it out from the inside. Now, the outside of the tree looked fine. Look at this. Look at this beautiful wood on the outside, right? But that's a picture of the inside. Jackson got a maul, and he chopped that thing, and that's what he took a picture of it. Look at that. What is that? That's nasty, right? That's deadness. You know what that instantly came to mind? Oh, you Pharisees on the outside. You look like whitewashed tombs. You got it all together on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. See, Jesus said that, and creation said that. Because how does that work? It means we die from the inside out. We can look all fancy-schmancy on the outside, religious, zeal, sincere. We give our contribution. We come to church. We all do this stuff. But on the inside, we're dying. And it's only a matter of time before your leaves fall off, your fruit falls off, and you fall over because you didn't deal with your heart. Now, what am I saying all that to say? I'm saying all that to say creation screams at us, God. He, it screams. The stars, your human mind, everything. That's why more and more scientists are, are becoming believers in at least, the very least, an intelligent design. Secondly, verse 7 through 14, the Psalm 19 says that God speak to us through his word, through his word. I'm going to give you, I'm just going to list these off. You go study it on your own because you don't really get conviction from listening to me. You get conviction from reading the Bible on your own. So all I can do mostly here is prime the pump. Like, hey, I want to go study that out. If I've done that today, job well done. Good job, Joel. Okay? Pat myself on the back. I'm going to go study that out. I'm going to go buy that Bible. Okay? This is what reading the Bible does for you right here. Go ahead and uh, here's what reading. Someone said, well, why should I even read my Bible? And they probably had that tone. Okay? Right? Well, let me ha I have an answer for you. Here's why you should read your Bible. So, verse 7 through 14 comes right out of here, Psalm 19. It restores and revives your soul. It renews your mind. It brings you joy. It brings you enthusiasm. It brings you confidence. It helps you desire the right things. It keeps you on the right path. It helps you live victoriously and fulfilled. It keeps you a sober estimate of yourself because your heart is deceitful above all things. So don't just trust your own ideas about yourself, good or bad. Trust more the word, okay? It, it prevents you from drifting and regressing. 
It protects your integrity and helps you define success in a right and spiritual way. This is what, do you, is that enough for you? Or should we go on? Because we could read the next psalm and have a whole new list. Okay? So the world is like, oh, I'm depressed. Oh, I don't have much energy. Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think I need counseling. And you probably and I probably do need counseling. But let's first go to the Word of God and get some counsel there. Amen? And then we'll see how we're doing after that. And, I, and the counselors amongst us would say, amen, if you could just all read the Bible before you come to me, I may be out of job, but I'd have a lot less worries. Okay. No, you wouldn't be out of job because we still need you. Okay, anyways. Are you with me there? So Jesus does appear to you. It may not be in a flash of lightning, and you may not hear this voice in the sky, but he appears to you, and the question is whether you're seeing him. That's the question. Are you seeing Jesus? Have you seen Jesus, my Lord? He's here in plain view, to quote an oldie but goodie hymn from not the millennial generation. Okay, let's go back to Acts 22. All right. So Paul had his Jesus experience, and now he had to wrestle. Now he has his wrestling experience. And a Jesus experience is not enough for us to internalize deep convictions and therefore transform from the inside out. Now, I, I didn't say Jesus was enough. Jesus is enough. But just having a Jesus feeling moment doesn't produce transformation if it's not accompanied by deep wrestlings with God and wrestlings with the scriptures. So for three days... Saul, he was blinded, he was led, and he says he didn't eat food or drink water for three days, and he was alone. And it says he was praying, okay? So Paul here wrestled with Jesus. And the question that Jesus asked, asked him, why, why do you persecute me? This is the issue. Why do we do what we do? This Answering this question is how we get what I like to call convicted. Convicted. Now the world will tell us today, conviction's a bad thing. Oh, don't get convicted. Don't get convicted. That, that's someone trying to make you feel bad. But the Holy Spirit says one of my main jobs in John 16, verse 8, verse 8 one of my main jobs is to come into the world to convict it of sin. Can we even say sin in this day and age? Can we even say right and wrong? Can we even say truth or false? Or is everything relative? Like I said last week, 2 plus 2 actually does equal 4. If you think it equals 3 or 5, you are wrong. Okay, so we've got to get comfortable with truth. Truth. We've got to get comfortable with that. Because if we're not comfortable with truth and the suffering that comes along with saying this is right and this is wrong, then we will have lost our saltiness in light, which we must hold out for the world to see. 
all right? And if we lose our saltiness, we are in trouble, okay, collectively. So the spirits convicted the world of sin because they would not believe on me. So what did Paul have to wrestle with Jesus about? What do you have to wrestle with? A good picture of his internal wrestlings is Philippians 3, verse 7 through 11. Go study that on your own, Philippians 3, 7 through 11. First, he had to wrestle with Jesus, okay? Who is Jesus? Who are you? Paul thought Jesus was wrong. Paul thought this rabbi, this teacher, was teaching strange things, that he was wrong, okay? When Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, Paul, Paul's like, no, he's not the Messiah. That's blasphemy. He needs to be shut down. He needs to be destroyed. So now that Jesus has risen from the dead, what's Paul got to do? Whoa. Whoa. Wait a second. I thought Jesus was wrong. I guess I was wrong. Right? How hard is it for you to admit you're wrong? It's hard for us to admit when we're wrong when there's hardly nothing on the line except a little ego. Paul was murdering people because he thought Jesus was wrong. And now he has to face that Jesus in that God. Whoa. We have to change a lot of times our thinking about Jesus. Sometimes we think about Jesus. Sorry, I'm just destroying this plug-in up here. Corey, sorry about that. Our thinking about Jesus is this flowery, mealy, mousy, just believe in me and I'll just bless you. You know what? That's wrong thinking. You don't know Jesus. You haven't met the risen Lord. If you think, he actually says, I didn't come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. Do you know that, Jesus? I need to change a lot of my thinking about Jesus, right? I've been around Jesus 46 years. And I say every day, it's like, well, hold on, I didn't see him that way before. Okay? The scriptures. Paul thought of the scriptures that the law points to law-keeping. Now with the risen Jesus being confronted him, he sees that the law actually points to Jesus as the Messiah, as the fulfillment of the law. Does that make sense? So he had to read the scriptures differently. He had to change his mind. I was wrong about the scriptures. The way of salvation, Paul thought, was legalistic righteousness. That's why he says, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, as far as legalistic righteousness, flawless. That's the way he thought. And now with the risen Jesus, he says, no, it's through faith, by grace, through faith in Jesus is the way of salvation and righteousness. I mean, we've got to change our thinking a lot of times about how to become a Christian. How to become a Christian. There's a lot of false gospels that are touted in the world today. Just believe. Just say a prayer. That is false. It's false. It's false. It's not in the Bible. It's not true. It's wrong. And if you hold to that and you don't change your mind about that, you're not going to heaven. So you may better perk up and get into the Word of God to see what does the Bible say about how to go to become a Christian. Okay. The way of salvation. Um, he had to change his mind about who the true people of God. I thought the true people of God were the Jews. And especially the Pharisees. They were the best of the Jews. Those Sadducees, they're idiots. Okay? Wait a second. I was wrong. I was wrong. Only those who are in Christ are the people of God. Only those who are in Christ 
That defines the people of God. we got to change our thinking. We like to think everyone's going to heaven. Everyone's going to heaven. I have not ever been to a funeral, and I've been to a lot of them, where someone said, actually, this guy's in a, this guy's in a lot of trouble right now. <laughs> have you? Okay, because we want everyone to go to heaven. It's very uncomfortable to think about hell. Matter of fact, the, a lot of churches has, have eliminated hell from their theology. Let's just not have a hell. And it was real popular. <laughs> Duh. Right? I wish I could believe that. Right? They don't have to yell so much every Sunday. Okay. Um, but it's not true. Okay? He had to change, the th- change our thinking. How about his outward sins? He had to change his thinking. I thought I was honoring God. I see I was wrong. We have to change our thinking about the compromises that we've justified in our lives. We need to change our thinking about that. How about the inward sins that Saul or Paul had to change? His anger, his rage, his control, need. I was wrong. We have to change our thinking about how good of a person we are or change our thinking about how bad of a person we are. A lot of us, we, we go to two extremes. I'm, go- I'm good. Thou shalt not correct me because I'm good. <laughs> or then we're like, this, that's over. And then we go over here. Oh, I'm so bad. I'm just the worst. I'm not even a Christian. I don't know. I'm just evil. I just, no, I, why don't you sing at church? I can't sing. I'm so bad. Why don't you uh, uh, lead a Bible talk? Well, I can't lead a Bible talk. I can't even barely have a quiet time. Okay, you with me? And then we go over here, actually, no, I'm awesome. Hey, could you just relax? Okay. And let's change our thinking about our inward sins. And then our relationships. What about Gamaliel? What about Gamaliel? My teacher. My father in the faith. My, my, uh, a lot of us, a lot of times I'll, t- I'll get with uh, people and say, well, my uncle's the, a pastor of this such and such. And we put all our confidence in some uncle somewhere who's, Got some religious position. Hey, let me tell you from a pastor's religious position, don't put your confidence in any religious leader. Please, I beg of you, okay? Because they're all a mess, all of them, including the one you're looking at, okay? The best of us is a mess. We are confident in anything horizontal, you're going to be deeply, deeply disillusioned. Okay? We have to change our thinking from who is right and who is wrong to what is right and what is wrong. Anyone a people pleaser here? Any people pleaser? I, I got like two hands and a foot raised when it comes to people pleaser. You know what helps me? Is I get out of who, not who's right, who's, but what is right. What's the principle? Okay? And then that takes away from the personality, okay, Abraham, all the things that Paul had to wrestle, we, we don't know for sure, but boy, we know he had to wrestle, we know, you know why we know how he wrestled, because he came up out of that water, a baptism, and he says he proved to everyone that, Je- from the scriptures, that Jesus was the Christ, well, where do you think he thought all that through, three days, of fa- you get three days without your phone, and without any people, and without any food, you're going to do some wrestling, Right? That's what Paul did. 
When's the last time that you really deeply wrestled with God? Wrestled with your heart? Wrestled with your thoughts? Abraham did. Jacob had to. Moses did. Hannah, Samuel's mom. Could you imagine wanting to have a child for years and years and years and then having one? And then offering up to God at the temple for service at the temple. Could you imagine the wrestling? She had to wrestle so much that Eli thought she was drunk. She was uttering deeply profound things in her relationship with God. Eli's like, what's wrong with you, woman? Dude was really a bad minister at that moment. Okay? So it gives me hope. Uh, Hannah, David. Had a, we, got, we, got, we got hundred and some psalms of David wrestling. Uh, Jeremiah. Thank you so much, Caleb. The Jeremiah class is finishing today. That dude has wrestled with that book and actually wrestled with the character of the book, Jeremiah, and wrestled with the God of Jeremiah, which is our God, for years he's wrestled. And thank you, Caleb, because now he can just skim off the top of that and give some to us. And if you go to that class, Caleb isn't like, hey, I know everything. Caleb's like, boy, that's a good question. See, that's someone right there who's wrestled. Amen. Um, Peter had to wrestle. Get behind me. Uh, uh, or, or uh, no, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Get behind me, Satan. That's a wrestling match right there. Uh, Peter lost. Okay. Martha, Jesus, tell Mary to get with the program. I'm doing all this work. She's just sitting around at your feet. Martha, Martha. Right? She, she had to wrestle. Um, do you guys know what Israel means? Israel? When Jacob wrestled with God and he got the name Israel. You want to know what that means? Who knows what that means? That he struggled with God. If you're not struggling with God, you, you're out to lunch. You got to struggle. You got to wrestle. You got to dig in. Right? Or you're, and Because you're missing the joy of deep conviction. You know, for me, I've had... I tried to just list a few of the times. Before I became a disciple, I always grew up believing in Jesus, but I was not a follower of Jesus. And before I became a disciple, I remember having to deeply wrestle with, are you kidding? You mean Jesus just doesn't want us to believe in him? He wants us to actually follow him? In this way we define believe as just mentally agreeing is not in the, that's just, a, that's just the very beginning of biblical faith. Man, I had to wrestle with that. And I had to say, man, I, I, I was wrong. I remember I was in, it was in engineering school and, you know, thought about, hey, how about you train for the ministry? I want to be a minister. I want to be rich. That's, what I've, that's where I was at. I, I've, I've dreamed all my life of being rich. And uh, um, they want to train for the ministry. Now, I'm not smart, but I'm not dumb either. I know that ministers aren't very wealthy. Okay? And so I had to wrestle with that. That was just the surface. And then I got fired from the ministry. And then they asked me to go in the ministry again. And I thought I had to wrestle with being such a failure. Such a failure. And then, I don't know if I want to do this again and fail again. Are you with me there? Man, I had to wrestle through that. A struggle. Is this God's call or is this the call of man? God is my father, that he won't abandon me. I had to wrestle with that. Our marriage, I had to wrestle deeply. With quite a, what kind of a, and all it surfaces with, Christy needs to change. That was my, Christy needs to change. That's how it surfaces. 
that as I wrestled, guess who what needed to change? Joel needs to change. I had to wrestle. What kind of a husband am I going to be? And I remember before we had kids, whew, before we had kids, it was like, man, we got this nice, sweet little world, just the two of us, and had to wrestle with having children, and life's going to change. And what kind of a dad am I going to be? And I remember before the church planting, are you kidding me? Go plant a church. Are you kidding me? Like, no. Everything's good. Grayson's comfort. You know, the church is stable. We're stable. We have three kids under five. Uh, I have an income that is, like, stable. The church actually likes me. That's not always common. Okay? They don't want to fire me. That wasn't always common. Okay? Uh, things, the correlation, things are going good. Why now? Just do it. Okay. I'll follow Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he leads. Okay, boy, what a wrestling. More recently, what is my real calling and role as an evangelist? What is my job description really from God, not from myself or from the expectations of the people? What does God have me doing? Why? Wrestling. We'll just close up with this. How does wrestling work? How does wrestling work? Number one, you got to get alone. You got to get alone. You got to get, did you hear me? What? Alone. You got to get alone with God. We are so horizontal sometimes. We just can't handle getting alone. In order to, I believe, in order to deeply connect vertical, you got to detach from the horizontal. You got to unplug, you got to detach, you got to pull it out your head, and you got to detach. Okay? Um, you got to get alone. Paul got, Jesus had to get Paul alone. Away from Gamaliel, away from the Pharisees, away from the Jews, away from the Christians, away from the soldiers, not even into An, with Ananias yet. He had to get him alone. Teens, if you can't get alone with God and you get alone with your Bible, you're just going to go off the convictions of everyone else. And pretty soon that's going to fade away because all you got to see is one little flaw in someone you trusted and you're like, see? Now I'm just going to do what I want. Okay? Right? College students, are you with me? I don't really care what you grew up with. What I care about is you're wrestling with God. Amen? you got to respect what was given to you, but no human has a corner on the truth. It's our college years that we usually start to question. I love mom and dad, but eh. <laughs> Right? Maybe they had a lot right, but maybe they had a little off. And that's okay. That's not disrespectful. It's actually honoring to embrace both. you got to get alone. Jacob sent his wives sent his cattle, sent his career, sent his success, sent his reputation. Everything had to go across the river, go, and it says he was left alone where he wrestled with God. Well, I'm too busy to get alone. I got a job. I got kids. People need me. You know what people need from you? They need you to get alone with God. Spouses, can I get an amen? You know, Christy and I got in a little wrangling the other week, last week. And you know what she said to me? She said, can you just go? 
and get alone with God? And I said, yes, I can. <laughs> and maybe while I'm gone, you can get alone too. So spiritual, right? Incredibly mature. Okay? But guess what? I did get alone with God. And I stopped thinking about her issues, and I started thinking about my issues. And God says, uh, can I have your attention, please? Son, boy, you come to me, and I'm going to teach you something. And so guess what I said to Christy? I was like, we need to talk. And guess how I started? I'm sorry for this and that and the other, and I was wrong, and here's what I'm going to do different. She said, hallelujah. I love that you're a Christian because I got it all together. Of course she didn't say that. <laughs> then she followed, get alone. Carve out the time. You go on vacation. You carve out time for vacation. A lot of you carving out three hours today for a football game. Or even more for a World Series. We carve out time for whatever we need to carve out time for. How about we get a little bit more vertical and carve out some time for Jesus? Okay. And then secondly, you've got to get courageous. To wrestle, you've got to be courageous. If, you, if, you're just, if you're just afraid, you're not going to wrestle. you got to get courageous by, number one, being super honest with God. Deeply honest. Deeply honest with God. About your fears, about your hurts, about your disappointments, about your uh, worries, about why he's not doing this the way you thought he would do it, about your heartaches, about your joys. You got to get really honest. I went through the things that Paul had to get honest about. Go back through those. Your inward sins, your outward sins, your relationships. And then you, you got to get deeply honest. And then you got to surrender to God. Surrender to God. I remember Brad telling me about before his baptism and how he was alone with God and he just let it go. He's like, I remember I just let it go. And I like, I know what I need to do now. If you can't surrender to God yourself, your loved ones, your fears, your worries, your future, your past, your present, surrender, then you can't receive God's heart. And that's the next thing. Once we let go, then we can receive the heart of God. We receive through study of the scripture, God's heart. You know, uh, uh, and then to rise and do God's will. You know, I remember so inspired by Carol Gordon. Carol Gordon I remember she talked to me. She's like, you know, I was studying the scriptures. And I saw that, that baptism was actually a part of conversion and salvation. I saw this. She was studying on her own. Same with Cole Rayek, who studied on his own for a year about the way of salvation and how baptism's involvement in it. Yes, no, old, young, uh, right? Okay? And, uh, uh, um, and she's like, it's so clear in the, in the Bible. So you know what she did? She said, she called up someone, you need to baptize me. And she got baptized either that day or the next day. It wasn't one of us. It wasn't any of us. Because it's the Bible, it's not us. Amen? That's someone who wrestles with God, receives God's heart, and rises and do, does God's will. To rise and do God's will. Who's that remind you of? Jesus. He got alone with God. He was honest, deeply honest. My soul is troubled, overwhelmed to the point of death. Is there another way, God? 
He was heard because of loud cries and tears, Hebrews 7. Okay? That was Jesus. And then he let it go and submitted to the oncoming suffering and pain. And he received God's heart. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? It was the joy of honoring his father, no matter the cost. It was the joy of being able to take the burden of all his friends onto himself so he could forgive their sins. It was the joy of seeing you and me 2,000 years later. That was the joy. He said, okay, I'll do it. Your will be done. And then he goes back to those brothers. He goes, guys, get up. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Totally transformation. Different form. Have you experienced this kind of transformation? Let the humbling experiences humble you. Let the Jesus experience through creation and through the study of the word allow your mind to be examined and transformed through it and to actually change. Then go and wrestle. Deeply wrestle. Get alone. Get alone and get courageous. And then let this full next week full gospel experience. Half gospels, partial gospels, they don't work. A full gospel experience. And then you're ready to embrace your mission. You're ready to embrace your cross. You're ready to embrace your calling like Saul, like Paul did. Let's embrace the process. And soon we will come out of that cocoon and we will set our wings a-flying until Jesus returns. Amen? Okay, Jeremy's going to come on up. You have some announcements, contribution, and then we'll, we'll sing one last song. And